Hello, everybody. Welcome to a cop-on special, an extra special. I'm brimming with excitement to be speaking uh, to Guy, Guy Clark, a voice that many of you will recognise from the Blood Red podcast channel. If you don't know Blood Red, then why the hell not? As a podcast fan, dear listener, you should be checking it out. All of their episodes, loads of great content available for free from the Liverpool Echo. Um, so uh, thank you for joining me, Guy. Um, firstly, how are you today? And uh, secondly, can you tell us a bit you know, about Blood Red and, and your role there, please? Yeah, as you say, on Blood Red, we have plenty going on. Uh, podcast channel, YouTube channel, it's it's all encompassing, really. Try to cover pretty much every angle of, of Liverpool Football Club that we can. Uh, I work there as a technically my role's multimedia football producer, but I'm somewhat of a, a jack of all trades, really. I edit podcasts, I do the odd bit of video. My my main role is the audio side of things and the, the podcasting. And then we have a number of a number of different podcasts on the channel that I'm involved with. I've since sort of uh, lockdown and the whole situation we're living in nowadays, and we've all been working from home. I've sort of assumed a uh, role of host of the the flagship Blood Red podcast on Mondays and Fridays uh, with our writers on the Liverpool Echo Sports Desk. But we've then also got a, a number of different uh, shows as well, including. Uh, the post-game podcast, of which, of course, you contribute to, Owen, that's uh, something since I came into the role since, uh, I think, July 2019, so sort of 15 months or so ago, I sort of came in and was sort of immediately put into that one, um, with it taking a fair bit of editing, that podcast, but it's a really enjoyable one, that the, the post-game podcast does what it says on the tin, post-match reaction after every single Liverpool game. How do you decide with, with Blood Red, like on, on the different shows? Because, you know, you get, you've get you launched several different shows on, on the on the channel. Like, is it, is it a group thing where everybody brings their own ideas to the table? Uh, yeah, it is. We've got, um, so I came in as part of what was an expansion for Blood Red um, at the time after winning the Champions League. It had been decided before that, obviously, but after winning the Champions League and the momentum around uh, Liverpool Football Club, Breach PLC, who's the sort of overarching company that owns the Liverpool Echo, had decided that they saw real growth in, in podcasts and in multimedia. Um, so we we sort of expanded the podcast offerings and launched the YouTube channel, which has gone from strength to strength. And from that time, yeah, we've had all sorts of uh, different shows that have popped up. I mean, Paul Wheelock, who I work alongside, who's sort of our overlord, uh, he was over seeing a lot of it already and then when i arrived with sort of three other guys um we've taken on new things so sort of more recently one of the the new shows we've got is the morning bulletin which is basically just a summary of sort of the top four or five uh, liverpool stories each morning uh, tuesday wednesday and thursday through the week just to sort of give listeners a flavor in the morning of what's about regarding liverpool or stories they should be keeping an eye on and then yeah, we've got Analyzing Anfield, an afternoon offering. We have regular episodes of uh, a podcast we call The Agenda. We have Liverpool.com, which is sort of a, a, sister, uh, a sister site, I suppose, for the Liverpool Echo, um, a US-orientated uh, market that was set up alongside sort of the expansion of the Blood Red project. And, yeah, we've all sorts of, of different podcasts, but we, we like to think it keeps it interesting and we've got a cross-selection of all different things, whether it be from our writers and their opinion, analysing Anfield, the tactics lads have their say. Uh, and as I say, we have uh, plenty of regular fan contribution as well. Yeah, it's terrific stuff. Get on it, listeners, if you don't know already. I'm sure you do. but um, And I'm sure you recognise Guy's voice as well. But uh, something shocking, something absolutely 
um, you know, it was a bolt from the blue. What are all the cliches? It was, uh, it was, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was just a surprise. I, I, I could barely speak for days after I found out recently that you are not even a Liverpool fan. Um, you support Arsenal. Uh, firstly, how dare you? And secondly, are you the only non-Liverpool fan in the office? Uh, much to my surprisement, on the on the second part of that, no, I'm not. Um, as you say, I don't support Liverpool. I'm, I'm a huge football fan. I think more than more than Arsenal, who are my team for my sins. I, I'm I'm a football fan first and foremost, and I think for for me personally, the opportunity to come and cover a team like Liverpool is absolutely brilliant. And I hope I do do it justice um, for those Liverpool supporters, of course, who do regularly. Uh, listening to our content but no I'm not the only uh, non-Liverpool fan in the office of course there are a number of blues but much to my uh, surprisement Sam Fedrizi who's sort of our, our video editor on Blood Red who does a lot on the YouTube channel he too is an Arsenal fan so actually yeah. of sort of the uh, the the cohort of the team we've got on the Blood Red desk actually two of us are, uh, are Arsenal fans. Wow so there are, there are many uh, what do you we've call infiltrated them? Yes, exactly. Many moles in the castle. We need to we need to watch out for people like you. Okay, but no, I think uh, I think it's great what you do. Um, you know, obviously you're very excited about football and you're very interested in in Liverpool as well. So that's great. I mean, it's clear. Um, so as you're sort of from the inside and the outside, you're from the inside because you you know Liverpool Echo regularly has a lot of really good close contact with the club um and from the outside from a sort of arsenal perspective what do you make of liverpool football club this season especially i mean it's only been a week i can barely control myself again since tiago alcantara joined uh, the team because you know from our perspective listening to loads of liverpool podcasts loads of liverpool fans journalists etc everyone just thinks we're absolute dynamite yeah i completely agree to be honest um i think ever since jürgen klopp came in i think it's been clear that liverpool have been heading in one direction and that's back right to the summit i think you sort of look at how long liverpool were i suppose sleeping napping maybe uh, it was more than a nap i suppose but they were they were having flirtations with the top of the premier league and then last season of course getting over the line and obviously i think it was all set off since as i say jürgen klopp coming in and reaching that Champions League final against Real Madrid and then realising you could do it again. It was sort of like, right, Liverpool Football Club are, are now back in the conversation and they're obviously a serious contender. But for for this season, I think you've got to expect more of the same from Liverpool. Really, I think those two signings, Thiago, as you say, and Diogo Jota that have taken place in sort of the space of 24 hours of, of one another, I think if there was any doubt that Liverpool are serious about having got back on their perch staying there, I think a lot of that was put to the side with those two deals. Because I have to say, Thiago, a brilliant player and a brilliant signing, but personally, uh, as you say, from one foot in and one foot out, I think actually... For me, Diogo Jota is a really, really interesting signing, really exciting signing as well. And for me, one thing I'd like to see uh, with that deal is he playing off off the left, Sadio Mane going through the middle and Salah off the right. I think that combination for Liverpool could be very, very exciting indeed. Albeit, of course, Roberto Firmino is an excellent player within his own right as well. We we talked about that just uh, just the other day on Cop On. Exactly, I had exactly the same vision. Um, and uh, Mark, who's one of our contributors, he he agreed that uh, you know it'd be lovely to see Sadio because he's such a 
such a lethal finisher. He could finish with either foot, brilliant with his head, as we saw the other day. Superb stuff. And what about Arsenal? Then, because obviously Liverpool's next match. Um, well, why you know, and, um, you know why I I was so happy that you agreed, especially to do, you know, at this time to speak uh, on Cop on as, as an Arsenal fan. Um, what are your expect expectations for the season? I mean, obviously, two wins out of two. It's been a it's been a terrific start. Um, maybe not in terms of performance. We'll get onto that in the last match. But you know, what are your you know what do you realistically expect from Arteta and the Gunners this year? Yeah, this is always a difficult one for me because with Arsenal, I have to. I have to always temper my expectations because I get very giddy very quickly and then with Arsenal it all sort of blows up in your face. I remember last season after we won the opening two games of the season sat in the office saying yeah I think Arsenal can finish third this season. I think Liverpool and Man City are by far the best sides in the division but Arsenal there's no reason why we can't be the best of the rest but uh, yeah saw how that one finished up and, and this year everybody sort of I imagine we'll get on to talking about Mikel Arteta, but everyone's sort of saying how great it is under him and everybody sort of in the office talking with me saying, oh, well, Arsenal do look like they could be the real deal this time around. And I sort of say, well, you've got it. You've got to temper it. You've got to temper it because with Arsenal, it, it's such a, it is, it, it, in many ways, it's like Liverpool. It's such a pressure cooker situation where there's so much expectancy and so much will to see Arsenal, obviously, from the fan base get back to where they were in those glory days after uh, under Arsene Wenger. And we know sort of what the, the social media landscape of Arsenal supporters is like. And players such as Matteo Venduzzi last season get built up so quickly and then sort of destroyed so quickly as Granite Xhaka was last season when he threw off the armband. But it, it's a difficult one. I think if, if you put me on the spot and said, where do I think Liverpool, uh, Arsenal can finish this season? I, I would say in either fourth or fifth. I really hope they can get back into the Champions League, but I don't expect things to sort of change overnight. And we're still clearly two, maybe three players short of where we need to be. What can happen in the window? We've got to wait and see. But yeah, I, I think Arsenal should be challenging for the top four this season. And if they don't make it, narrowly missing out. I think you've got a good chance. I do. I I do. I do think so. Um, I think you know from from the outside, Arteta seems to have uh, got a lot of defensive stability that was that that had been missing for for a long time. Um, but yeah, staying with Arteta, then I mean, what? How highly do you, do you rate him as a manager? Obviously, he took over in December last year. For you personally, what sort of score would you give him out of ten, for example? I don't want to jump straight to saying 10, but I am sort of... Uh, I, I Personally, I don't think there's another manager out there that Arsenal could have appointed and had such returns. Not only winning the FA Cup, but the way in which he's flipped the culture at the club. My big problem with Arsenal for a long time has been, I think, mentally throughout the club, it's been weak and it's not sort of stood up to the challenges and the pressures that comes with being Arsenal Football Club, whether that be going away to top six sides and rolling over and have the, having their bellies tickled, or whether it be just the way in which they sort of exude themselves and go about things, the way they hold themselves in front of the media, in their transfer dealings, this, that and the other. But I think I think now, I mean, so many players from Arsenal, you've seen them sign young players over the years. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's one of them, who they arrive with such clear potential, yet somehow they don't reach it. And it feels as though everything's very relaxed at Arsenal. There's no sort of 
accountability for not performing to the level that they should and then players go off elsewhere and they they do reach those high high standards and I think Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain will be one of those players but I think Arteta as I say I don't think Arsenal could have appointed a better better manager at the time I was wary because he was a rookie manager he was obviously a former player well regarded at Arsenal might not have been the best player, but certainly understood the values of the club. And that was something that was nice to have him coming in. But you didn't know what you were going to be getting. I really, at the time, in fact, when Arsene Wenger left, the manager I said for a while that I wanted to succeed Arsene Wenger was someone like Carlo Angelotti, someone who'd been at the top, who knew what it was like to keep things going, who could come into a club such as Arsenal and really sort of put take, take the expectation off the playing staff, put it onto him as a manager because obviously it would have been following in the steps of Arsene Wenger and then really help the club sort of get back to, to where it really wanted to be, a man who's obviously won numerous Champions Leagues. But Arteta's come in and he's been a breath of fresh air. He's He's been no nonsense in his approach with the dealings with the likes of Matteo Guendouzi and uh, Meza Ozil um, for two players. And yeah, he's... he's but extended the olive branch and brought someone like Granit Xhaka back into the side. He's dealt with Aubameyang fantastically well, got him to sign the new contract. And yeah, as I say, I think I think there's a highly talented manager there. He's obviously been promoted to, to manager now. And I, I do honestly think he could be the last of a dying breed of people who stay at the top with one club for a good period of time. I've got full belief he can get Arsenal back to where they want to get to. And I feel when he gets there, I don't think he'll see any reason to to move on and go elsewhere. Maybe Barcelona, but you'd have to wait and see how that plays out. Well, I hope so for the Arsenal's sake. I mean, it's you know, it's it's great that to see them back because you know we can sympathise Liverpool fans with Arsenal fans. We've been in very similar situations over the last thirty years where it's just like it's not what we expect from our team, and as you say, people just don't get the club. <laughs> Uh, you know, people. I don't know that Roy Hodgson springs to mind every time I talk about things like that. But uh, but no, Arteta. Yeah, it's very exciting times. Um, he seems to bring the best out of players. You mentioned Aubameyang signing a contract. I didn't put this in my list of questions, but yes, very very important player. Um, he's he's brilliant for you, isn't he? I mean, talk to me a little bit about Aubameyang. Go wherever you want with it. He's fantastic. He's a throwback to like when we had Thierry Henry. Um, I mean, to be honest, I was amazed when we signed him in the first place. It was completely against all of what Arsene Wenger really had set the club up to do. And for me, it was almost like he was he was bowing to what everyone wanted, expecting it almost to blow up in Arsenal's faces. Not, not, not the player not to work out, because I think everybody knew that that would work out because he's a world-class talent. But Arsene Wenger was always so frugal and so clever in the transfer market didn't spend and overspend and then he went and spent I think it was 45 million pound on Lacazette and then four months later five months later he spent 60 million pounds on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and sort of then you see the mess that that economically does with the club where you then a following season and a half down the line you've got a player like Aaron Ramsey who's been at the club over a decade was our, our best player our key player within that squad who the club couldn't afford to keep. It wasn't they didn't want to keep him. He, he effectively went to Arsenal and said, what are we doing about a new contract? And Arsenal said, yep, yep, we'll open talks. And then a few weeks down the line said, oh, actually, about that contract, we can't afford to keep you, so you're going to walk. And he was sad to leave. We were sad to see him go. But Aubameyang has has been an absolute revelation and he's he's really led everything for Arteta. I think as much as Arteta off the pitch has really got the club, has really 
got things going well for Arsenal. I think if he didn't have players on the pitch who could dig him out and get the results that he needed in tight games, obviously we saw it even in the, the Community Shield, but the FA Cup, both the semi-final and the final come to mind. It, he's got a player there in Aubameyang who is genuinely world-class and it sort of gives an understanding and a reasoning for everything Arsenal do. And certainly the approach they've taken under Arteta, because it is different football to what Arsenal used to seeing, albeit I, for one, uh, am really pleased with the football Arsenal are playing. I know it might sound weird because some people might think it's turgid and it's a bit too compact and everything, but it's exactly what Arsenal need. We've hit the reset button. We've gone for a tighter formation defensively. We look poles apart to what we've been for the last 10, 15 years. And yet it's giving us a, a foundation now from which to build and hopefully add quality in the transfer market over the coming seasons. It's not going to be done overnight. Um, Add quality in the transfer market in attacking areas and eventually get back to that open, full sort of throttle football, playing without the handbrake on, as Arsene Wenger once said. And hopefully we do see a return to that, but we do need some some solidity and stability in defence first and foremost. Is that who you'd like to target then in, in, in the transfer market, in the remainder of the transfer market, if you could bring in some some more solid players, what, like a defensive midfielder or, or full-backs or, or centre-backs? Who would you like to see? Well, and this is probably where I do get a bit giddy, to be fair, Owen. There's, there's two players who Arsenal have been linked with extensively. Um, I don't know uh, exactly where the club's finances sit on this because they've been looking to get players out to then bring players in, but obviously we've still got the ongoing situation of when fans might return, and I think that could impact some dealings. But... Thomas Partey has been one defensive midfield player, obviously someone who in those big games could sit alongside Granit Xhaka and really lock down a midfield. I mean, we saw it certainly in the, the Wanda Metropolitano against Liverpool uh, back in February. Thomas Partey was unbelievable in that game. And the fact that Arsenal not only are targeting him, but seemingly are getting encouragement from his, his Thomas Partey's party as well to uh, make the deal happen and bring him to the Emirates is... Really encouraging. It might cost a fair bit, but if Arsenal can bring in a world-class operator at the top of his game as well, it's it's not one of these potential signings. I think Party's 27. So he would come in, he would immediately strengthen that midfield. And then the other target we've got, of course, is uh, Olympic Lyonnais, Jose Mauer, who, if he came, he would be uh, another fantastic signing. A playmaker who could really open up defences, not probably all too dissimilar, it might be fair to say, from the Felipe Coutinho that Jurgen Klopp picked up when he first walked in at Anfield and we saw what a player he became certainly in those final six months before going off to Barcelona so yeah if if I could have any two players they would be the two but whether economics and finances allow that to happen we'll have to wait and see very interesting choices um Thomas Partey I don't know I don't I don't watch La Liga all that much but whenever I've seen him he's been he's been really good he as you say against us uh, uh, away from home, he was absolutely superb. He wasn't that good at Anfield. Did he play at Anfield? Because the whole team, I think, they were so lucky to get through uh, yes. on the return match. But um, but uh, yeah, brilliant player. Um, who's Samoa? Now you see, I I live in France. I speak to a lot of people who work in football here, and um, he's a really interesting one because I, again, I don't watch Liga. I don't have time in my life with all the other football that I watch to follow Liga very closely. Unfortunately, I do watch PSG matches, but um, whenever I've seen him, he's looked extremely tidy, very technical, but I do wonder about his 
I don't know. If you want someone to knit the team together, you know, he's wonderful. He's like your grandma knitting a knitting a jumper. Like he can knit you the most beautiful jumper. But if you're looking for actual end product in terms of assists or goals from midfield, he's not your guy. And in big matches, he tends to, I've heard this from lots of other people, he tends to sort of disappear. So I'm not as convinced as other people. I know his, his reputation is really high. I'm not as convinced as other people. But there you go. That's just my tap and swear. Um, going yeah, back no, to Arsenal. No, I'm just going to pick up on that. I think actually, in many ways, that's, that's kind of an Arsenal signing. I remember years back when we signed Alexander Hleb from uh, Stuttgart in the Bundesliga. And he arrived with, with an awful whether it be goals or assists record really for a midfielder certainly for a number 10 creative sort of type but what it was was it what you were just saying there knitting things together just keeping the ball moving and I think Arsenal's the makeup of Arsenal's midfield everything else is sort of looking quite good at the moment but the midfield we don't really we have Danny Ceballos who's come back in from uh, Real Madrid on a season-long loan but we don't really have anyone who keeps things ticking over and progresses the ball from deep that player who plays the pass before the pass and I think that's probably the feeling of why maybe our might be the target for Arsenal but we'll have to wait and see if it does happen yeah no I mean he could definitely play that role and if that's what you're looking for then yeah he could be your guy um so yeah okay let's uh, focus on the match against Liverpool um, you mentioned before Arteta's tactics. It's something that surprised me, really. Watching him as a player, he's a very elegant player. Um, you know, he, he played deep in midfield, but I wouldn't expect him after working with Pep Guardiola to be, you know, more on the Rafa Benitez tactical side compared to um, the Pep Guardiola or Bielsa school of, you know, crazy attacking stuff. Um, I just wonder how you feel about it, because for me, Arteta, is he's more Benitez, like... If you compare Frank Lampard, his tactics don't work. I'm not a big fan of Frank Lampard. I can be honest. I don't know if you can be honest because you work for Reach PLC. You have to sort of, I don't know, temper your language. But this is cop on that. It's my podcast. I can say what I like. I think Frank Lampard's a bit rubbish. Okay. That's just my opinion. Uh, because he plays a defensive way. He plays a turgid defensive way. The sort of Roy Hodgson style uh, four five one or four four one one or whatever, and it's just like it's not imaginative. It's two blocks. It's Alan Pardew stuff. But then Arteta seems to be much more intelligent uh, in terms of Rafa Benitez style. Like he can really, you know, like it was really difficult when when Liverpool played played Arsenal. You know, when when he beat us and you know um, and in the Community Shield way, he did. He he's very clever at stopping teams. Um, and I wonder your thoughts about like how he does it, you know, how he manages suffers, because surely we can expect a similar sort of stifling game plan against Liverpool. Yeah, it's it, for me, it's it, it's a real contrast because it's it's compact but it's fluid because you see the players all interchanging. They all and they are a team. They work all in unison together. And I think actually the point you make about Arteta, certainly obviously during his time at Arsenal, being a deep midfielder and. I think effectively a player who didn't really have legs and he didn't really have mobility around him. And so often in those away games, he would see the likes of Eden Hazard just running past him, running through on a defence who were helpless and wouldn't have anything to do. And that was that was the issue I felt, and I do feel Arsenal have had for years and years and years, ever since really Gilberto Silva left. We never really had a Fabinho-type midfield player who can sit in front of that defence 
can play out from deep, but also will shuttle across and will, will stop things happening in front of the defence and actually be a screener uh, in front of them to, to stop any counter-attacks. And I think Arteta's come into Arsenal and I think he's looked immediately at the defence and I think he's realised it's not up to scratch. And I think that's why Arsenal play this 3-4-3 that they've stuck with really ever since coming back from, from lockdown after the defeat at Brighton really switched to it and has stayed with it ever since, albeit obviously been using it here and there before that. And I think it's it's effectively, until we can get the likes of Gabriel, who's arrived from Lille in the summer, William Saliba, who of course after a, a sort of year back on loan at Saint-Étienne before uh, ever playing for Arsenal well, after signing last summer, he now comes in. And I think until they can get up to scratch, until maybe Pablo Marie comes into the side or however the, the centre-half partnership is going to develop at Arsenal. Until we have two players who have grown into the position, who have grown into the league and really can dominate from defence, I don't think Arsenal will change from this 3-4-3 three, three, because it, it allows for that compactness defensively. But then offensively, with the, the wing-backs, it's really interesting, whether it be... Maitland-Niles playing off the, the left-hand side, or if he does play Saka down there, Saka can then go forward to be like a winger and Aubameyang then comes in more as a striker. Or if it's Maitland-Niles, he and he and Bayerin seem to sort of jump into the midfield to add extra bodies with Xhaka and Ceballos. And then you have the likes of, of Willian and, and Aubameyang either side of Lacazette or Eddie Nketiah, whoever's sort of deemed to be the, the main man up front for wh- whichever game it is can then really overload the centre of the midfield. And I think you will see eventually Arteta. I don't think he'll morph into a Pep Guardiola. I think he's got more about him. And Guardiola is clearly a legendary manager, but I think he's got more about him defensively in terms of how to set his team up. But I think once defensively Arsenal are sound, you will see them probably change to a 4-2-3-1, open up and really, really dominate midfields and really, really dominate matches. But for the time being, it is compact and it is... I, I quite enjoy it, actually. I, I like seeing my team keep clean sheets. And when we score goals like we did in the Community Shield against uh, Liverpool with that passing move out from the back that ends with a Bamiang, you can't really see better passing moves either. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a great goal. It hurt more than I thought it would mm. at the Community Shield. It was just, uh, you know... What do they call it? The McDonald's Shield or something? I don't know. But uh, yes, absolutely. No, yeah, it, it was super goal. Uh, against West Ham the other day, um, he played a 3-4-3, as you were saying. Uh, the, just quickly go through the personnel. At the back, you had Gabriel Holding and Kalasanat. Uh, from left to right, the four was Saka, Chaka, Ceballos and Bellerin. And then up front, you had Aubameyang, Lacazette and Willian. Some great players there. Uh, do you reckon um, he'll he'll change anything? Is anyone coming back from injury or anything? Do you reckon he'll go, as you say, a little bit more defensively with Maitland-Niles? Yeah, I think Maitland-Niles will come in as a left wing back. And I, I really hope that, uh, firstly, uh, Kieran Tierney, I think, picked up a hip injury in the warm-up before the West Ham game. He was set to play instead of side Kolasinac. So hopefully that changes as well, because Kolasinac is... Despite despite the system being patched all around players to even if they make uh, horrendous defensive decisions, really everyone there to be able to shuttle across and help out. Kalasanac uh, had an awful error in the North London derby during lockdown where he effectively just played the ball five yards wide of David Luiz straight to I think it was Hyunmin Son um, who, who obviously went through and scored for Spurs just after Arsenal would open the scoring. So I hope Kalasanac isn't in the side. I hope he gets sold actually. 
before the window's out because he, he's he's not up to scratch at all. Um, so they would be the two changes I'd like to see Maitland Niles and Tierney come in, and then maybe if David Luiz is fit, see him. Um, I know he gets um, a bad rap, David Luiz, but actually in a back three and in this Arsenal team, he's actually proven to be quite a leader and quite a good player. And I think a lot of people forget under uh, Conte when he was at Chelsea, and they obviously almost got towards that 100 point total. Uh, David Luiz was the centre man of a back three. He was named in the the team of the year at the time, and I think he he would be a welcome body to come back into the side. But he's had a neck injury, so I don't know if we'll expect to see him. But yeah, other than that, just two changes. Hopefully, uh, Maitland Niles for Saka. I'd expect that one. And then if Kieran Tierney's fit, he to to replace Side Kalasenac. David Luiz, um, a fascinating character. But you're absolutely right. He, he for me, he, he he's never worked. Benitez, again, got, got it right. He was never a central defender, if you talk about a back four. But in a, in, in a three, as you said, p- players can make mistakes and they've got someone to cover them. So he's perfect for that kind of thing. So I think he's very intelligent from Arteta. Um, so, yeah, OK, so thank you. Yeah, going through that. Um, in terms of the first two matches from the season, um, how do you feel about them? Uh, how do you feel about both of them? I mean, you had two two good wins. Yeah, I think Fulham, it was Fulham. Uh, I think a lot of people got carried away very quickly thinking, uh, hey, Arsenal um, have scored three goals. They look really good. But they were playing, in all due respect, a championship opposition in what could really have been a final pre-season game before the season got underway. Nonetheless, you have to beat what's in front of you. And Arsenal certainly did do that and dispatch them with a plum. Uh, it was encouraging to see Arsenal, even with this 3-4-3, which is, is really set up to play against those top sides, which is why I think you've seen Arsenal have so much joy against the likes of Chelsea and obviously Liverpool, less so Man City, um, since the lockdown um, with Arsenal playing this way is because teams struggle to break through. And then we've got players who, on the transition in Aubameyang and whether it be Pepe or support Lacazette in attack get up very quickly and as I say can uh, can do devastating things in the final third but I think against Fulham we were able to do it because they, the quality the technical quality from them just really wasn't there against West Ham as much as they are a bit of a basket case of a club and they aren't in a great place right now I think it really showed in that game that with this system that's why Arsenal need maybe a player uh, who in the midfield can unlock a defence and not not be the man to maybe play it straight through for Lacazette to run in on goal. But as you saw the goal that Arsenal did score, the ball, I think it was Xhaka, fed it out to the left-hand side. Aubameyang down the left wing, chipped in the cross and headed in by Lacazette. Obviously, that for the first goal. The second one, I think it was Ceballos, got it back and put it across the box for Lacazette. And I think a player, whether it be Awar or whether it be another central midfield player, I think eventually that's why you'll see Arsenal change from a back three to a back two. And I wouldn't be surprised if by the second half of the season, you see that begin to happen should Arsenal bring in a more creative player in the midfield who can link with that forward three. Because as I say, any three of Aubameyang, Lacazette, Willian or or Pepe, I suppose you could put Nketiah into that conversation, um, can do can do devastating things in the final third. And it's just about making sure that Arsenal can get the ball through to them and get the ball to them in encouraging positions for them then to, to link together. 
But were you, were you happy enough with the performance against West Ham? Because I'm looking at the stats in front of me. West Ham had 14 shots and only three on target. Um, but uh, Arsenal dominated the ball with 63% possession, 86% pass accuracy, which is very good usually. But only seven shots uh, in the whole game, three on target for Arsenal, two goals. So, you know, you're a clinical team. Um, but uh, were you, what did you make of the performance in general? Because I saw bits of it. I didn't see it all. And Arsenal looked like they were really under the cost, even though West Ham only had 37% possession. Yeah, and that's that's what I think. I think sometimes having more of the ball can be damaging. And I think that actually was the case against West Ham. They hit the bar, didn't they? They should have had a penalty, truth be told, for the, the ball that hit Gabriel on the arm when he missed his header. Um yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, but as I say, I think it's it's one of those that Arsenal, with the makeup of the squad they have at the moment and the system that they're using, um, there is a lot of sort of sideways passing, possession, patient play. But then when you've got a team like West Ham who have sort of pace on the on the breaking sort of a player like Mikhail Antonio, I think it was always going to be somewhat of a, a, a challenging game for Arsenal, especially when it was at Emirates Stadium where West Ham are going to come in. They are going to expect Arsenal to have the ball and therefore then be able to basically play to their strengths of, of playing on the break and using their power on the transition. So I wasn't, I mean, I, I didn't think the performance was brilliant. I wasn't sort of jumping to ripping what hair I have left out, thinking... It was an awful showing. I think it was a reality after the game against Fulham of where Arsenal are at with this squad. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning, really. I think there's reason for Arsenal to be encouraged to get to the top four. But you've got to remember over the course of the season, you've got 19 different opponents who play in different ways. And you've got 38 games in which you need to get the amount of points that you need to get to reach the top four. And I think that's what Arsenal find. I think against it's almost a reversal. We used to be flat-track bullies who would open up teams like West Ham at will, whereas now we're, we're playing teams like Liverpool and we're looking a bit stronger defensively and we might get a result against the Liverpool and everybody writes and talks and podcasts about how brilliant Arsenal have been and then we struggle to break a, a West Ham team down. I think it's it's horses for courses. It is where Arsenal are at and that's why there's still a couple of bodies short to be able to do damage to set opponents. Uh, yeah, very interesting stuff indeed. Um, I've just got some some XG uh, stats from Understat in front of me from Arsenal West Ham. I mean, it was two one to the Arsenal, uh, but um, Arsenal's XG was one point three three. You had uh, five shots from inside the box, three of those basically on the six yard line, of which two were goals. Um, and West Ham though they had seven shots from inside the box, um, from the penalty spot or before. Six of those were central. One of them is from quite a wide angle. Um, and they also had two shots from the six-yard line right in the centre of the goal. They only scored one of them. Um, so West Ham could have been more clinical. But basically, <clears throat> what's your prediction? I mean, you, do you think Arsenal will play better against Liverpool? Will, will, will you know, as you say, raise it against the, the the big opponents? And you know, what sort of score are you, are you expecting? I just hope we don't sort of concede the customary three to five goals that we seem to do at Anfield each, each season. Now, <laughs> that, that 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 that's where I begin my sort of prediction from. But no, I think it's one of those with, as I say, just going back touching on the West Ham game though, it's going to be a completely different game because Arsenal are going to go to Anfield 
and Liverpool are going to be expected to have the ball. Now, if Liverpool surrendered possession and just said, Arsenal, you break us down and we'll kill you with Salah and Mane on the transition, which West Ham couldn't do because they don't have the players that they can get them into those positions, but they've not got the, the ability to, to kill teams off. So Liverpool do. So if Liverpool did that, then I would be very, very scared. But Liverpool aren't going to do that at Anfield, certainly not after signing a player like Thiago and just generally with the makeup of the technical quality of the Liverpool team. They're not going to sit deep and ask Arsenal to break them down. Albeit if they did, I think they would run away with the scoreline. And that's what they used to do when Arsene Wenger's teams used to, to rock up at, at Anfield because that's what Arsenal were. They were technically on the ball maybe superior, but everything else they weren't. They weren't a cohesive collective unit, which is exactly what this Arsenal team is. So I expect Arsenal to come. I don't think it'll be parking the bus, but it will be a tight unit for Liverpool to try and break down and everybody will be defending for one another. There'll be blocks, there'll be slide tackles, there'll be interceptions from Arsenal, I'm sure. I think Liverpool will have too much quality, though. If Arsenal score, it could get interesting. Don't know if they will. Uh, they always can because they've got Aubameyang on the field of play. And, and Lacazette started the season well as well with two goals to his name. And Willian's come in. He's looked brilliant as well. I, I'd imagine it would be that forward, uh, forward line for Arsenal. I can't imagine Nicola Pepe comes in from the start at Anfield of all places. But it'll be interesting. But I do think Liverpool are a better team than Arsenal. I think they'll show that on Monday night and I think they'll probably win 2-0. I mean that would be that would be lovely from our point of view but uh, and yeah some kind of progress for Arsenal after recent showings but uh, no yeah. Um thank you very much guy. I mean it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I think that we've uh, you know learned a lot about uh, you know from the Gunners perspective. So thank you so so much for for joining me today and uh, yeah I don't know may the may the best team win. Well, uh, yeah, of course you'll say that because we we know who the best team is. But I, no, <laughs> I, I can be professional, and as I say, I'm, I'm sure Liverpool probably will do will do the damage. No, I mean, I mean the best team on the day. I mean, you know, uh, but uh, yes, no, I, I I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit um, like I'm. I mean, you use the word giddy. What's 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 more than giddy? What you know? When I got when I got so much vertigo, I'm I don't know. I'm I'm like feeling sick from the vertigo of signing Thiago Alcantara. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say, yeah, I mean, I think Arsenal will score, but I think Liverpool can score four. Sorry. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised. Liverpool, Liverpool can do that to any team. Uh, I think Arsenal will be compact. I, I, w- I would have nightmares if Liverpool were to score four at Anfield against Arsenal once more. We've, we've seen that one enough. I think to be fair, 2014 was enough for me, seeing those four goals in 20 minutes, but hey-ho. Well, one man's pleasure is another man's pain, and, uh, you know, hopefully, um, I don't know, we can all live with it, whatever happens. Um, Thank you very much, Guy. Have a great day, Um, and uh, yeah, I'll speak to you again. Take care. Cheers, Owen. Enjoyed that. Thanks a lot.